0: This is a production from The Companion. Sci-fi served fresh. Welcome to The Companion Podcast. I'm your host, Lawrence Kao, and this is my co-host, Rebecca Davis. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, Lawrence. Um, I'm really excited for this episode. Uh, It really predates me not only as a producer here, but even as a member. Yeah, that's right. It was um, actually the first ever event at The Companion. In fact, the original AMA Brad was going to do was a typing AMA. He mentioned he had very fast fingers when it comes to (laughs) typing, you know, from writing all those screenplays, I'm sure. Um, And so I think he was let down a little bit when we said, why don't we do it as a video event instead? I love this AMA, but with all AMAs, it's really up to the audience to ask questions. But I know you are a fan and you know Brad really well. What's the one question or piece of advice that you could share before we get into the other interesting questions in this AMA that Brad gave to you? I do get a chance to speak to Brad from time to time. And when I do, I do ask Brad for advice. Uh, It could be in writing or, you know, running one of these kind of events or business advice for the companion. The one advice that I always come back to that Brad gave me, and I think he actually gave it to some of the other team members as well, is that don't put a hat on a hat. You know, so if we're doing a pretty cool event or creating a cool piece of content, sometimes just let that be it. You don't need another surprise or another introduction. So that begs the question, Rebecca, is this intro right now a hat on a hat? No, 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 no. This is this is the feather in the hat. Right. So with that lesson learned, this is me introducing Rebecca Davis, introducing me, introducing (laughs) Brad's AMA. Go, Rebecca. Enjoy. (laughs) Good morning to some. Good evening to others. Um, Thanks so much for joining. Uh, obviously, we have Brad here. Uh, he needs no introduction. Um, you can ask him anything. Tips on writing, producing, Stargate, Travelers, Outer Limits, early career. You can even ask him about other films and shows because he's just a huge sci-fi fan. He's been in the business for three decades. And um, and yeah, the only rule, there's only one rule. Please don't spam. Spam is a great a plate but bad for a, a chat forum. So, um, uh, we'll get to as many questions as possible. Um, and in the meantime, as you guys start asking questions now, actually lots of members, I started, um, like emailing a couple days ago and also when they registered. So we'll get through some of those questions first as it builds up, but Brad, first, can, can I,
1: can I say something that, uh, I know is going to be a question. I just want to say that, uh, uh, I know a lot of people are going to ask about a new Stargate project, and the fact is, I just want everybody to know that MGM, MGM and I are working on something. Uh, it's just too early to talk about, and uh, and uh, it's partly too early because there's a pandemic going on, uh, and that's kind of ground a few things to a to a, a halt. But uh, but we are working on something. It's very exciting. It's something that uh, that that. Uh, that we've been talking about for, for a while now. And uh, I love it. I'm excited to, to, to uh, have the possibility of making it someday soon or someday period. And, uh, and uh, it's, I'll say this much, I'll say that um, it, it, it exists in the universe that, that you already know. Uh, it's not, a, it's not a reboot. It's not a completely new thing. It's a, a continuation and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I'm
0: not allowed to say anything. we want to hear, Brad. That's what we want to hear.
1: <laughs> Good. Good.
0: Everybody's just going offline now, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, all yeah, I want
0: to We've done a job. <laughs> AMA. Thanks, guys. <laughs> oh, wow. That's exciting. It's exciting. I don't know. if I'm going to see if there's any, you know, what's going on in the chat here. But hopefully... Okay, go people, ahead. ...people uh, are, are loving that. Um, I'm seeing lots of woos, lots of Woo! claps, thank yous, well dones. We need more Stargates, that's what's happening. Uh that's awesome. Oh, great news. What a way to kick off the yeah. AMA. All right. So um yeah, let's get to some let's get to some questions now. It's like Okay, you know. Um the first question comes from Christoph Collada. Um, and it's just a simple one. What are some of your favorite sci-fi books, Brad? Favorite sci-fi books? Oh wow.
1: Um, I started reading uh sci-fi when I was like in my early teens and uh and I really, I, it's just, I read all of Isaac Asimov. I read all of, as much Fred Saberhagen as I could get my hands on. And, and it was funny because it was because of, um, uh, of the time. I just thought there would be an infinite amount of, of classic sci-fi out there, but there isn't, you know, there's a ton of it, but, but the stuff that's magnificent, um, you can kind of burn through it and, and, in, in, in and in a, in a lifetime. And, um, but so now I love Scalzi, uh, John is a is a great writer. Uh, we're we're kind of cut from the same cloth of not being able to write something that doesn't have humor in it. But I love hard science fiction. I love I love like the hardcore stuff. If you read my my essay, I I, I, I love fantasy, too. Lord of the Rings was like epic when I was 12 years old. And I read that, you know, all three volumes and. You know, cried when Gandalf fell and my brother at dinner said, don't worry about it, he's going to be okay. And I got really mad at him for the spoiler. Mainly I love sci-fi and I love I love space opera. I love military sci-fi. I love writing military sci-fi. I, I don't know why. Uh, maybe it's, it, it was well predated uh, Stargate SG-1 that I had this uh, affection for... Um, uh, military fiction too. Not that I'm, you know, h- hugely into war. It's just that it has such, such an impact on, on humanity and, and on the, the creation of civilization that it's impossible to ignore as a, you know, as a, as a thing that happens in the world and that and has always happened in humanity. It's just, it's just what happens when people stop talking, you know? And, uh, and, and I love uh, science fiction set in the, in the distant future. I'm trying to remember the name of the, uh, of that book <laughs> that I just read. British author. Brilliant. It's about spiders that evolve, uh, meeting humans for the first time. It's, it's brilliant. And somebody should tell me somebody, somebody remember it and tell me. Yeah. Cause it's really popular. Well, when too. you
0: remember, we'll, we'll tweet it out later. So, okay, good idea. So we'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, you, you, speaking of Scuzzy. um, uh, one of the other members had asked uh, Ian Zania. He uh, he was asking, uh, "What role did John Scalzi play, and what were some of um, his notable con- contributions?" Uh, you know, Stargate Stargate Universe. Okay,
1: so so um, John John, what he did was he 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 was at home, and we, I met him. We met him once. We flew him out. We had a meeting. But what he did was he would read a script once. Once I thought it was in good enough shape to share. And he read it from the from a science perspective, and and from a because with SG we were trying to be more accurate. You know, my penchant for trying to be a little more accurate in terms of science and science fiction was uh, was getting more serious. And John is a smart man, and his and uh, his knowledge is encyclopedic. I mean, he he would read the scripts and and say, you know, you can't possibly do that in that much time if we were talking about a you know a a flight at a certain speed. To he's just smart, and uh, but also. He's also very creative. So he would talk about character and, and, uh, as, as well, but mainly he was our science fiction consultant and, and, uh, I, I, I loved getting his insights and, and, and it's funny. I, I said, uh, in my essay too, um, I'm always just a little bit embarrassed, uh, when I talk to, uh, uh real scientists about science fiction especially my science fiction because you know you you start talking about and it happened with john you start talking about a structure in 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 the that 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 was visible after the big bang that indicated that something happened before the big bang uh evidence of uh of life before life was possible to exist and uh and I remember getting the email and him going, "Wow, heavy stuff, man," <laughs> and and thinking and thinking to myself, um, and and being a little bit embarrassed because I knew that he understood this stuff much much more than I do. But but he he completely got it and completely uh, completely helped us form that that part of the story. It was great.
0: We got another question. This one um, came from a, a Twitter member, uh, SGC Gate, uh, and they wanted to know. Uh, who are your heroes in the f- uh, field of writing, acting, directing, and how do they influence your career? So kind of maybe even related to the last question as well.
1: I don't have any immediate heroes. Like, I mean, I have filmmakers that I love. I mean, who doesn't love Steven Spielberg. Uh, uh, you know, and I loved, I loved early Lucas. <laughs> uh I, I, you know, I worry about, um, uh, you know, having heroes because, because people's careers ebb and flow. Uh, I, I think Aaron Sorkin is, is among the greatest writers ever and he doesn't do science fiction, but he, but his dialogue is so unbelievable and so captures real people. So I, I'm, you know, I lean toward that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, I, I could go way back to Frank, Frank Capra. I love Frank Capra stuff and, and, uh, And it's, you know, that's incredibly old stuff, but, but capturing humanity films and, and, and actors and writers and directors who can capture, you know, it's, I'm not inventing this term, but, uh, something with heart, something that, that is, uh, has an element of heart in it. Uh, and it could be, you know, it could be, it's a wonderful life. It could be aliens, (laughs) You know, aliens is full is, is got that right. Stay away from her. You bitch moment. That is, that is, you know, technical and incredible and, and powerful, but it's driven by, you know, a heart, this, this protective instinct. And, and, uh, so I, I would have to include, uh, actually, uh, aliens in that. I, it, it's that film that when it's on TV, I can't not watch it. And, uh, it, it, it's just every scene is perfect to me. I
0: yeah. I call those, them, I call those take you along for the ride films where you accidentally get off yeah. the channel and then it takes you on for a ride and then you're on it. Yeah. G- G- groundhog day is like that. You know, you,
1: you, right, you, right. you're, you're, you're watching, you're watching TV and, Oh Jesus, Bill Murray and groundhog day. I have to watch a few minutes of this. And, you know, no matter where you are in the, in the movie, you, want, you know, you just, you go. I gotta go to bed. You turn it off. But yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's funny because sometimes it's, it's, it's Stargate and, you know, I'll be in my little gym doing my lamish sort of exercises and, um, and, and I'll be flipping and there'll, there'll, there'll be an episode of Stargate and it'll be, oh God, yeah, I remember doing that. I remember when Andy shot that and, oh man, that's, and, and it's funny because I, most people watch the episode. I watch that part of my life when I see that episode where I was you know, where, where the director was, uh, in his
0: career or her career. So it actually takes you back to set and takes you back to that moment rather than seeing the the story on screen.
1: Yes, it it does. It takes me, it takes me to great example, uh, uh, 2010 Andy Makita directed it. The last act of that episode came out of my computer. I mean, I, I felt like I typed it in real time and it didn't change at all. I mean, basically what I wrote in that moment. And then Andy and Andy came in with this amazing way of shooting it and concept of shooting it. And it it was, if not his first episode that he directed, it was one of them. Uh, And, and it, it just made me go, Oh man, that was a great decision. You know, hiring Andy as a director, because he had worked with us for so many years as a, as a production manager and then as a producer and, and and uh, as a first AD, I mean, early in Stargate. Uh, and so when he when you know when he took off and and directed 2010 as well as he did, it, it blew me away. And you know, like music cues, I can't not watch the ending of uh, of uh, SGU. Well, the last episode, it's not really an ending, it, although to me it feels like an ending now. But Joel's final piece, his
0: that final piece of music that he wrote for that episode is just. So good. Another question, I guess, on on writing. Um, This is from Leslie ann Kay. What does your usual writing process look like? Are you an outline guy? Uh, Do you write sequentially? Do you just tackle each scene um, as you're ready for it? I don't recommend my writing process to anyone.
1: (laughs) Of course, of course, I used to outline because... uh, uh, you had to, I was, when I was newer and younger, people had to see, to see your, your, uh, your outline. But, but honestly, for me, the outline process is takes as long as this, the script process. Uh, and, and it's less informative to me as a writer. I'm not a plotter. I don't, I don't think of the whole story ahead of time. I can't. Uh, I mean, I, I have, and I do uh, when I have had to, when I've had to, but I, I am much better as a writer when, when I'm, uh, when, when I'm in a scene, I know, I know what the scene should feel like. I know what the character's goals and intentions are, but I don't really know what the scene is going to be until I, until I get at it until I, until the one character says something. And then I, and I go, Oh, well, then this person should say this. And, and the, the, for me, the process of discovery is, is way, way better, um, to give you an example, in the pilot of Travelers, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler. <laughs> if you haven't seen Travelers yet, you should. But um, uh, in the pilot of, uh, of Travelers, I hadn't decided if the, the cop character was going to die. I, I, I thought he might end up being a recurring character. And in that scene, as I was typing, as, Phil, as he chases Philip down the alley, and, 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 and you know, he's, I thought, oh, geez, um, what if he has a, a, a heart attack right in that moment? And you know, and and Philip knows it's going to happen. He just didn't know he was going to be there for the heart attack, or that he was going to be the cause of that heart attack. And I thought, well, maybe he'll maybe he'll get over them. And that, and I thought, what a perfect way of of uh, encapsulating a, a, a protocol—not just don't take a life, but don't save a life, which is protocol something three and. Um, and so Gower Gower is chasing him uh, Philip down this this uh, alleyway, and in that moment, I, I I I I decided that was the scene, and it and and it ended up being way more powerful than than. And I ended up discovering that by writing the script. And I don't think I would have got there in an outline. I think I would have, you know, because I wasn't in the moment with the characters. I think I would have the outline would have just said achieve the story beat I was trying to achieve. And I would have moved on. And, and Gower may not have died in that moment, which was a very, I think a, a, one of the best scenes in the, uh, in the episode and and that, and so, but having said that, you can't run a show that way. And, and so in our writer's room on Stargate, um, we had a big, and, and in travelers in every writer's room I've ever been in, uh, the way I like to do it is to, is to put up a big whiteboard. And you, and you put the beats that you, that, you know, okay. Cause somebody always comes in with a core idea. What if this happens? Um, yeah. I'll use that for an example of uh, what if, what if uh, destiny is hurtling toward a star and you think, Oh shit, we're all going to die because it's powered down and it's out of power. And oh, that was a bad thing to happen. But what if that's how destiny uh, gets its power. What if it's truly solar power? Because I I was realizing that if it was on a journey as long as it is, it had to replenish its power. There's no such thing as an infinite power source. In that in that moment, the, the uh, you come in with that idea, and and well, what do you do with everybody else? And so you put the beach you know on the whiteboard, and and uh, and then all of you as a as a writing team sit down and you fill in the holes like you put five acts of, of story, and and you put in the beach you know. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, you have an idea of how it's going to end. You put that down. You have an idea of what the tease is going to be, how the show opens. You put that down and you, and you basically fill in the blanks as a group, throwing out ideas, building on what is already on the whiteboard, sometimes taking the eraser and wiping it away again, which is important. Um, and, uh, and then realizing, oh, that doesn't get to that, or this doesn't make sense at all, but, but. But that's what a writer's room is. The writer's room is, is beyond just the original spinning and, and spitballing and throwing ideas around. Um, it, it's putting it up on the whiteboard and, and I'll do that. I do that for my own stuff too with, with, but, but I, but I, what I really like to do is, is to, is to be minimal, to at least give myself for myself. Uh, this is when you're making a show uh, an idea of structure without committing to it completely when I'm creating a new show, when I'm, when I'm uh, writing a a pilot, I, I just, I just start writing and, and I don't recommend that to anybody. (laughs) It's just, it's just, I've been, I've I've written so much, so many hours of television. It's just that that's the way it works for me. And um, so that's what I do.
0: Was Uh, there actually a moment maybe where, I mean, you've been, you're obviously a huge veteran, so you probably have structure and, and, ideas down pat, but maybe for younger writers or maybe when you were a younger self there, maybe there was a moment you crossed over. (laughs)
1: Like I, I, I don't, I, am the one, when I'm the showrunner and and I've only been the showrunner lately (laughs) for the last 20 (laughs) years or so. And, and, uh, I have that privilege, but, but I'm, you know, I can't just to, to a a, a new young writer say, no, just go write it. Unless there's a, you know, an enormous amount of time and and they, and they want to try that process. (laughs) What it sets you up for, though, uh, is the is the um, the knowledge that um, that somebody may have a big note that changes everything and you may just have to throw away a giant chunk of what you've written, uh, hmm. uh, especially like at, at, the, at the high level. If you've written something and, and they go, we love this and love this, but this this whole ending is just not where we think it should go. Oh, well, I didn't write a note on. I'll just do a, a very heavy second draft and big rewrite. And that's just, you know. Part for the course when you do it that way. Um, and, uh, and then th- the other thing that happens if you have a lot of time is you, you'll, 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 I'll write a version of a draft and I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll finish it and it's just for me. I mean, it's not like I'm going to send it to anybody at, th- at that point and I'll wait like a weekend or, or five, six days and I'll read it again. And, um, and I'll, I'll go, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> uh, and, and, and immediately see what the solution, or sometimes see what the solution is. But my other thing that I do, uh, when I, when I, as, a, as a thing, that I'm, and I'm not sure many people do this, and I don't think a novelist could, but I start on page one every time. So when, I, when I'm writing, I'll write to the, you know, sometimes I'll come up with a bunch of pages. The next day, I, I, I go back to page one. And I, and, I, and I read it and read it and read it. and Because sometimes what you've written informs stuff earlier and you can see ideas in and it makes you seem much smarter than you actually are. Um, but, uh, but no, I start on page one every time, which is why there are always more typos on the last page. But also because when I'm in production, if, if I type the end, I, I immediately want somebody to read it and tell me. Uh, whether it's uh, as good as I think it is or not, um, so I, I hold off on that moment as, as long as possible. I, I, again, I don't recommend it, especially for young writers, because structure is really
0: important. When you um, wrote the rules of sci-fi for us, did you use the same process where you started at paragraph one and then wrote and then kind of go back, or was it, was it a different yes, process? Yes,
1: absolutely. When, that's a that's a great example. When I wrote that essay, I I uh, I just started at the beginning and, and, and I would change it. It would be very fluid. And a, and a little joke or thing that I thought was great yesterday, I would think I was, how stupid is that today? And, and, um, and yeah, that's, that's definitely how I do it. And then when I, of course, then when you get to the end and, and, and you, uh, have to do another draft, you get notes from people. And sometimes it's uh, notes you have to do. Sometimes it's notes that you, uh, that are just suggestions and, and, um, and you have to you have to take those notes and and you generally have 55 pages of script uh, and uh, and you have to somehow make that work without adding more material because you're you can't you can't write a sixty five page script you can't shoot sixty five pages of script because every ten pages every eight seven pages is is an entire shooting day which is eighty a 100, 120000 dollars worth of production so when you write ten pages that that you have to cut out you just pissed away a lot of money so i the, the goal is to write a script that is just long enough that in the editing room when you're when you're when you're done you have two three four minutes and tops that you can shave off the episode to reach your program length or which was the beauty of working for netflix uh you can you you uh you can you can shrink it or expand it to the size you want but it's it was always for me around um 44 minutes uh of uh, screen time for a, an episode. And, and, uh, that in page count is around 51 pages, 52 pages for me. So when you, when you address somebody's note, which sometimes means adding something, you have to find stuff, stuff to take away. You have to, you know, you have to get rid of stuff. I actually had a writer. I won't say his name who, uh, I said, you're too long. And he went away and this really happened. He went away and he came back and, and I went, okay, I don't know how you did that so fast. And I read it again. And I said, I don't see what you cut out. And he said, no, I, I just, I just
0: uh, changed the margins.
1: And I went,
2: it doesn't work that way.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
0: thought you were going to say, I just deleted all the buzz.
1: <laughs> well, no, that, that would be hard to read, but um, he, he just changed, he altered the margins and I, and I,
0: Anyway. Arctic Goddess One uh, from Twitter asks, what ancient technology do you wish was real and that we could use in our daily lives now? I think a faster than light travel would would solve an enormous amount of
1: problems. Uh yeah. I think we could explore. Uh, it really would. But with that would come Anti-gravity. I mean, a- ancient technology, as uh, you know, in spaceships would would be great. I think it would be. I think it would be wonderful. I think it would be really, really great if humanity could figure out a way to uh, to travel faster than light and go to other worlds. That would be wonderful. Um, there's a lot of uh, stumbling blocks to that. There's a lot of a lot in the way in terms of real science. You can't just go faster. You know, you 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 actually have to. Come up with a way of, of of changing a fundamental law of the universe, altering it in a way that that we haven't come up with yet. Uh, and even then, you have to you have to figure out uh, how that gets around things like time dilation, and and uh, and you have to come up with a power source for that. I mean, even if you came up with the science to make it happen, like like the uh, Albuquerque Drive, uh, I think I pronounced that right. I'm not sure like warp drive, basically, uh, you, you would, uh, you know, I, I don't think it, there's a dilithium crystal around that's going to do it. You know what I mean? We, uh, so that would be great, but, uh, but it's, it's a real big challenge. And, and, uh, I don't
0: think I'll see that in my lifetime.
1: It's a dream though. It would be pretty cool. Um,
0: all right. Another Stargatey kind of question, Hunter Falk Burgess asks, out of all the characters, worlds and stories that we got to see in the Stargate franchise, uh, which ones would you want to revisit and why? I always wanted to, this is kind of funny. I was, I I always wanted to do another Ashen story.
1: I liked the Ashen, like again, 2010. I just, I thought that their plan was so insidious, but Rob Cooper used to tease me about it because he, he felt that the long game that the Ashen played um, uh, was undramatic, inherently undramatic, Uh, which is why it ended up playing well as a time travel story because by the time we realized what their plan was, it was already too late. And the only solution was to, to find a way to send a message back and, and, um, not meet them in the first place. Obviously I have a thing for time travel, but, um, uh, I think Rob's joke was, uh, oh my God, they stopped us from being able to grow corn, which was pretty funny. <laughs> at least it was for me in the, at the time. I killed myself. Uh, but uh, I thought I thought I could come up with another long game type story. I, I just there was something interesting uh, about a culture that that had that sense of superiority and and sense of the long game of, well, you know, we'll we'll win. It'll just take 100 years. I just yeah. thought that was so insidious. Um, And I only got two episodes in that world. And um, but, you know, there might have been a third out there.
0: Uh, yeah, I'll stick with that answer. <laughs> oh yeah, no, the great, great. Characters. Oh, and the Knox. I would, I, I loved the Knox. Yeah.
1: I thought the Knox were fun. Uh, they were, they were, they were so great. But, but again, they were, the, who they were, who they, who they ultimately were in the, in the, in that episode, kind of precluded our ever seeing them again. It was like, oh, you're so young to us, you know, uh, of us. Like, you're not ready. They're just so not ready to to be a friend, you know, (laughs)
0: Um, we're going to try one more layer. We have a special guest for you, Brad, Uh, an old friend who um, couldn't make it. uh, Wanted to ask you a question as well. So we're going to cue that up right now. (laughs) Okay.
1: Okay. a special guest. Okay. Hey, Brad, it's Narain Shankar. Blast from your past. Um, So I got a question for you, man. Despite the enduring popularity of shows like The Twilight Zone and The Outer
0: Limits, which I worked on with you many years ago, um, with few exceptions, you know, maybe notably Black Mirror, it seems like successful anthology series are few and far between these days. Do you think there's a place for anthologies in the current landscape of, you
1: know, more novelistic television? Love to hear your thoughts. Love that guy. Uh, Noreen, hey! Uh... I think the reason Anthology can come back and, and, and has in the form of Black Mirror is because now you can you can uh, you're not dependent on the last episode to be able to air the next one. I think I think regular broadcast television made it difficult. I think the only one of the only reasons The Outer Limits managed to go as long as it did was uh, it was set up uh, with a, a, literally a business relationship. Between MGM and, and, and Showtime, uh, it was part of a larger deal, and so they knew uh, they were buying sh- uh, uh, to get access to MGM's library. Uh, Showtime uh, also had uh, X number of hours of uh, of shows like like The Outer Limits, and uh, which Noreen and I had a great time working on together. Uh, it was so much fun. But he, 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 I think he's right uh, that that now might be the best time. And I, I would do that again in a heartbeat, as hard as it is, as hard as it is to do anthology, and it really is, because it's like doing a pilot every week. You're, you, you know, when we were doing 22 episodes of The Outer Limits, we were casting 22 separate pilots, essentially, 22 separate shows. Like, everybody who came in uh, to be in that episode had to be had to be cast. You didn't have recurring characters and every set had to be new. There was no such thing as a standing set. So it was bloody difficult, but, um, but it's also so rewarding when, when you, when you, uh, when you do a, an anthology episode that, that stands alone and is fun and, and, and is solid. Uh, and, uh, and you have your dogs too. You're gonna, It's inevitable. You can't, it, there's, you don't have a, a recurring cast to fall back on. You don't have a, you know, a through line or a backbone that, that, that is the reason the show got bought in the first place. Like a, you know, like an Anuila Carter, a or Daniel that you can depend to hold it together uh, for, because of their own strengths as characters and as actors. Uh, so it's risky. And I, and I think that's part of the reason anthology uh, has struggled. And, and I think uh, networks, tend to be risk averse, especially broadcast networks, because if you don't get an audience in your time slot um, for consecutive weeks, because the last one sucked and the next one wasn't that much better. Well, the next one's fabulous, but if you don't get the eyeballs on it, you're screwed. Whereas Black Mirror, it all it all went up at once on Netflix. Everybody had the ability to, uh, if they didn't like it, watch, watch the next one. I watched them all. I thought it was terrific. I thought it was uh very, very solid and incredibly well-written. And, and I, and I think proved a point that uh, anthologies like the outer limits and the twilight zone uh, proved to a certain extent. And that is that uh, you can grasp the theme uh, uh, and make that the through line uh, as opposed to sets and actors and, and, and characters, Uh and and so that in a way the audience is getting the same show because it is uh, Black Mirror is a perfect example. Um, uh, it was a, a, a side of technology, a side of of this technology, the Black Mirror. Took me a, like an episode or two to figure it out, that. Um, sadly. Um, so yeah, hey Noreen, if you if uh, you want to do an anthology at some point, let's do it.
0: Uh, oh, that'd be probably.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I'd do The Outer Limits again Uh, it it was so much fun although I have to say this too we did stuff on The Outer Limits uh, in terms of uh, sets and and, uh, and stuff in general in terms of visual effects that you could not get away with now in terms of sophistication of the audience I did a show Light Brigade uh, which was like season 2 uh, almost a sequel to another episode that I had written in season one called quality of mercy, which was a, a bottle show. Um, one set, two actors saved a lot of money and, um, directed by Brad Turner, fabulous job and Nikki DeBoer's in it and Robert Patrick. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so I wanted to do a sequel of that, uh, in that universe essentially. And so at least I didn't have to build a whole new universe again. But it required the the building of a spaceship, and and because it was anthology, our per episode budget for sets was not super huge. Um, but Steve Gagan, the production designer at the time, and I had this had this. Um, what we used to do is, I would write, and I do this to this day. I before I write a story, before I commit to a story, I have conversations with the art department. Hey, hey, can we do this? Can we, can I build this? Can What do you think, what stages would she, should we put it in? How would we achieve this? And, uh, and so we, you know, you you can come up with ways of, of, of solving problems uh, with the art department, put it into your script and it, and it sounds like you're smart all, right off the top, but Steve, Steve had to, to, you know, have some shortcuts. And so the hatches, the actual hatches, in the in the in the tunnels, which were gigantic cardboard sono tubes that we painted the inside of and put ladders in, the hatches were actually garbage can lids, literal garbage can lids that were spray painted, which in a standard definition four by three looked fine. In HD, you would go, is that a garbage can lid? So, and same with visual effects. You know, you could do a matte painting, or you could do a, you know, an optical uh, and and you know you wouldn't couldn't tell it was a model, but in modern with, with modern, uh, 16 by nine with 4k, uh, yeah, you, you would see uh, that looks like a model or that looks like crap. And, and so the, the level of sophistication has, will have had to go up. I think black mirrors achieved that. I think that, um, the dogs in that episode were, were amazing. Um, but yeah, it, 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 that is the bar. I mean, you have to be really good in terms of your visual effects. And so embracing an, an anthology, especially the way we, did, I mean, we, we had, we were writing them, you know, we were writing scripts and we were shooting them weeks later, building the sets as we went along. I mean, that, that's insane that that's the next speed that we operated at, um, uh, uh, for the outer limits. But, uh, I do it again because it was so much fun and so rewarding. And, 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 you know, you meet these, you meet actors who, who want to do television because they don't have to commit to a whole series or multiple seasons. You know, they get to, they get to do a character for one episode. Um, We got, we got some pretty, some pretty decent folks to be in that show. I mean, uh, I got to meet some great, great talent and, uh, and it was great to work with them. So, oh, so awesome. yes, Noreen, I, yeah. I think it's possible. Let's, let's do it together. Uh, he's a really, really smart guy. He's so smart. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> throw, throw um, Scalzi into the mix as well. And you guys can, can yeah, play science yeah. and anthology banter. <laughs> um, okay. So I in think the John, com- I we're going to jump I think into John the- would dig anthology. Yeah, I mean, he, was, he did um, some of the Love, Sex, and Robots, I think, right, on Netflix. Um,
1: yeah, yeah there were some of, yeah, there were his stories. Um, it, it's funny, you know, I, I, I haven't, it's very different. Uh, screenwriting and, and writing novels is a very different animal. And, um, and, you know, characters on a page have to exist a, a more complete on a page in a novel, uh, and, whereas screenwriting, uh, the, it's a marriage of the writing and, and the performer. You know, the, a character is not ever complete in a screenplay. That, that last step, that really important step is when a, an actor uh, breathes life into the, into the character you've written, and, and it becomes a partnership going forward. So when I write a pilot, sometimes it's a favorite actor, sometimes it's, it's just, a, you know, a, a random uh, voice I've generated in my own head. But as soon as you cast it, as soon as that role uh, is um, a real person, that voice takes over as you're as you're typing the character, uh, and that, I think that's another huge difference between writing for a screenplay and writing for a novel. I am writing Eric McCormack's voice for Travelers. I'm writing Richard Dean Anderson's voice for Stargate. Uh, Amanda Tapping. You know, you know their cadence. You know what they sound like. You know, uh, you know their rhythms. And so, once that partnership gets good, and and once you you know, you've, you've hit the ground running you know they read the script and it sounds like their character to them you know they they go oh this is me and i know how to say this uh part of that is too you know in a read through if they have a hard time uh like rick hated long speeches like like he he had kind of a two finger rule <laughs> and it's not because he didn't like memorize them he just he just felt more real when when he had l- you know, shorter things to say. And I, and I, and I, and I mean that, and I, he, you know, he was a, it was consummate professional, but, but, but he just didn't think O'Neill should do long speeches. And so, and so, you know, that burden went to other people, obviously. But um, as far as travelers concerned, I actually wrote with Eric McCormack's voice in my head for the character, hoping that I might be able to get him because I knew he was Canadian and I wanted this to be a Canadian show and because I'd worked with him before, uh, but I didn't really think I'd be able to get him. Uh, it might be because I wrote it with him in my head though, that I did get him because he read the script and went, uh, wow, yeah, I could, this is, this is something I could do. I, I, this speaks to me. Uh, Patrick Gilmore, who plays David, I, I actually literally wrote the part for him knowing I could get him into audition. And so, and so during the auditions, uh, it was, he went straight to callbacks during the auditions. Um, I hadn't seen him in a couple of years, like five or six years, actually. And uh, he was sitting in his car uh, as, as I walked out of mine uh, to go into the uh, uh, casting studio with Maureen Webb, who is a brilliant casting director. And, uh, and, and so he sees me and he waves and, I, and, I, and he rolls down the window and goes, hey, Patrick, how's it going? And he goes, hey, Brad, it's a long time no see. You. And I said, by the way, uh, I have to go in. But just so you know, I wrote this part for you. So don't fuck it up. <laughs> and he went, you wrote it for me. And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 you can't really screw this up. I promise. Uh, and, and, uh, sure enough, uh, he hit it out of the park as I knew he would.
0: All right. There's a lot of, uh, comments coming. There's not even a question, but there's a lot of comments in the chats and they're wondering what's going on. Who are the cats in the background and maybe describe oh. <laughs> your office. Yeah. Okay. So this is, uh, this is
1: Lulu. This is, this is a, a cat that, uh, that we got from my daughter, Kayla, when she was like five and Lulu, uh, just passed a few years ago. Uh, and she was, uh, she was a lovely cat and actually went off to live with my daughter. Uh, when my daughter went off to university, this is, Oh, this is Napan. Where is it? Over oh, the other way. <laughs> this is Napanee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Napanee was our first cat. And, and then in the middle, I'll get out of the way. In the middle, that's boo. That was our dog. Uh, 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 a golden retriever lab cross uh, who uh, was with us for 15 years and has been gone for about five, but my wife uh, for a few Christmases in a row had those made for me. And, and, and I just love them. So they're in my office.
0: Very cool. Very cool. I'm going to quickly scroll through some. (laughs) It's so uh, funny that the cat picture behind me, it's, it's, uh, they're great. I love them. Uh, Here's an interesting question from uh, words or magic to me one. Uh, the question is, as a professional biologist, I'm curious how much thought and research into the biology of planets and aliens that appear in the shows? Well,
1: as a biologist, you are well aware that most planets we would go to, uh, we would uh, probably die. <laughs> we, I mean, I, I started making jokes in SG-1 where uh, uh, there were so many trees uh, uh and so many planets of like Johnny Appleseed uh, went out into the universe but um, uh, we have to shoot on earth uh, and so that's that's our limitation uh, I mean as a as a I think that the the tougher question is why is everyone speaking English <laughs> which you know at least Star Trek had the universal translator which which was their, their answer um, uh for Stargate, we we just we, we it would be such a barrier. Um, we just hoped that that uh, that the audience would accept it as a, as a conceit, just like just like they accept gravity on spaceships, because I, it's very difficult to do uh, anti gravity. Uh, the only person I think who did it, Ron Howard, did it in Apollo thirteen by building a set inside the Vomit Comet, which is a, a DC ten. He built a set inside a DC ten, and they did parabolas. Um, But back to the biology question, it is true that, uh, that all the planets we go to, uh, seem to have, uh, perfectly breathable air and, uh, but maybe that's why the ancients put stargates there. That was our answer. Uh, and, and sometimes it, 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 it came, we, we got story out of it. For example, uh, the erratus bug, uh, in, in the Pegasus galaxy uh, is a creature uh, that ultimately we wanted to plant as something that was fundamental uh, to what the Wraith became. But it's, it, we, it was also a bit of a barrier because of course there would be, there would be uh, uh, indigenous life, right? Uh, we did an episode called Bane that Robert uh, wrote that was, that was essentially about an indigenous life form that, uh, that almost killed Tilk. Changing the biology of a planet or or, or, or changing or go, going to a, a foreign planet, uh, unless that was about the story, it was incredibly difficult uh, uh, from a from a technical perspective. We tried things. We tried uh, to change like the color of plants, like just in color correct and just and just, uh, you know, I mean, Star Trek just made the sky red because it was a psych, right? It was a giant it was the back wall of this, of the, of the studio lit red. Uh, um, and, and we just never found, uh, or rarely did we find, um, creatures or, 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 or things that, unless it became integral to the story. For example, I did an episode called, uh, Cloverdale in season two. Season, yeah. I think it's a season two episode of SGU. Uh, and, and it, and I, I realized I couldn't, I, I couldn't afford in a million years to do the whole episode in the, and the defending the gate, aspect of the story because those creatures, those plants essentially were so expensive. Uh, cause every, every frame of, of those scenes were, uh, where they existed was CG. And so I think, I, I think maybe it would be easier now to create, uh, uh, planets, uh, where there was a different biology. And, and, especially since the world, the shooting world has changed, uh, an alien planet 20 years ago in Stargate was driving out into the forest. You know, we, 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 the, the big problem was we couldn't see buildings. We couldn't see power lines. We, it had to be, you know, we shot in a lot of gravel pits, but now the city has grown so much that uh, you'd have to go out of the zone, which is like a, you know, a place where you can legally and, and, Morally ask a crew member to drive in their car to a location uh within a you know a shooting day. Otherwise you're you know really risking people's lives by making them work 12 hours and then drive an hour and a half on either side. Uh and so since the city has grown so beyond the zone, uh uh alien planets uh have to be in studio in green screen and and in uh coves. Um so, so you know that kind of thing, that kind of storytelling about biology, uh, different biologies w- w- would be more available to us. If, if, you know,
0: in the you know what? We get to do it again. Yeah. Speaking of that, um, there's a couple of comments I'm seeing here. It wasn't necessarily com- directly related to green screens, but I'm going to find them here. It was more um, around the volume walls, like in the Mandalorian, and uh, effectively those giant oh, I- LED. Yeah, what do you think about those? I would love to. Oh, I mean, as soon as I I read about those, I
1: I uh, I, I sent the link to uh, to a couple of friends, like uh, Carrie Mudd, my producing partner on Travelers. I I, I said, uh, we need to do the, we need we need these. We need to to shoot something on these. I said, uh, Joe Malazzi, I said the same thing because uh, I mean, y- you have to do it all beforehand. I mean, all the CG, all the world, the, the the has to be created beforehand but the the benefits of being able to shoot uh actors in front of an environment that that looks photoreal uh um, to be able to like them without worrying about green spill uh for them to be able to see the thing they're re- reacting to i mean it's it's man telling an actor that you know they're they're actually responding to a, a little a little silver ball on the end of a stick that looks like this, you know, that's that a visual effects coordinator is holding up and, and that's the monster's head. So, you know, depending on the actor, they go really, (laughs) Uh, or they're looking out the, the window of their spaceship and, uh, 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 you know, and, you know, and they're firing weapons and, and, you know, they're banking left and right and there ain't nothing out there. You know, there's the guy holding a a little ball saying, this is, you know, this is where your eye line should go. What the Mandalorian has is the ability for the actor in real time to see. oh, my God, I, that's what I'm responding to if I'd only know. It's funny when it when uh, when you do science fiction and you bring and you do a screening and I like to do that. I like uh, I like to do to screen episodes for, for the cast. Uh, if you're lucky enough to be finished an episode or two before you wrap and say you know what let's let's get a little uh, gathering and and watch one of these you should all be very proud of it we did it for every one of our pilots we'd we'd have the whole crew and and do a screening for them and and you know for the actors to to see finally what that visual effect is you know uh, uh that that they were imagining three months earlier or four months earlier it's 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 uh that would be the huge advantage to the Mandalorian style, uh, all that, that led wall. I, I can only imagine though, that they're really expensive right now. And you, you would need to have a lot of faith that your show is going to go a very long time in order to <laughs> make that kind of investment. Yeah. I don't even know if anything like that exists in Canada yet. I am I'm, I'm fairly confident though, that it will soon. And it's the way to go. And I, I would also suggest that it's probably not going to be, you know, the way it is for everything. Um, I mean, if you look at uh, Endgame Avengers, the Avengers movie, I mean, there was so much CG in that. I mean, that, that, that and so much, so much scope to it. I don't, I don't think uh, an LED wall could even work for something like, like that big.
0: But I don't know. I would love to have one of those to play with. <laughs> <laughs> Ian uh, Zania, he asked, uh, I have some cool, I've seen some cool concept art uh, for an Atlantis DHD. It was quite different from the kind of like SG-1 style DHD. And what was the ultimate reason for going with that, which is essentially like a same DHD off-world uh, for the off-world gates uh, while keeping the decidedly cooler DHD for Atlantis control room and, and the puddle jumpers?
1: It becomes, a, it becomes an art department thing. It becomes a design aesthetic. The one thing that I wanted, I don't know, I mean decidedly cooler. We wanted the, uh, the puddle jumper should have had, had to have its own DHD built in, right? So it had to be part of that control panel. I really wanted uh, always uh, uh, in uh, SG1 Atlantis, SGU, and going forward for there to be a unique Stargate as well. Uh, I think that I think that the Atlantis gate has a digital quality, uh, and, and so it seems more, uh, you know, advanced. Keep in mind that Atlantis could have existed uh, and evolved and, and grown uh, after long after it left. But, um, but we wanted it to have a different look, a different color so that, so that you knew just by looking at the icon of the Stargate, oh, this is an Atlantis episode. Oh, this is, um, this is SGU. Um, and the design of the destiny itself, we struggled with that. And it, it it's literally one of those drawing on a napkin stories. Uh, I just literally, I sketched. Well, sketching shapes, right? and, I, and I was looking at a chevron and kind of elongated it, and, and sent literally that chevron shape to, uh, to James, our, uh, our, our designer, and, and uh, he made it real from there. But, but the destiny itself is, is, is an evolution of the Stargate shape. Uh, we just wanted each show to have a visual uh, template, all of its own, unique to it. And, uh, and that's really the core reason for that difference.
0: I got another technical question from Ibrahim Saeed. Um, he asked, what are some of the strategies that you use to stage scenes and fast-moving productions? But before you answer, quick side note, um, when we spoke to um, the VFX supervisor, John Gadecki, uh, he told us that he would pre-vis everything with Fisher-Price figures. Is that also right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. John
1: used sometimes Lego little Lego guys to uh, in Previs. Uh uh and it, I mean Previs is great. Previs is in fact what uh, what uh, what they do in the Mandalorian. It's just that they take the previs all the way to to photoreal. Uh it, it, and then they they project it. I mean, that's basically what you're doing. You're 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 doing something before you even shoot the thing so you know. You know, okay. Roughly, this is what I mean. John's John's uh, figures were sometimes hilarious because he would write the name on their little chest on their little Lego chest, and he would and and uh, and uh, so you knew who was, who was who, but it helps with things like access, like which direction, which direction is the ship flying, which uh, is, is, it, you know, if they, if they're coming through the Stargate left to right, then they have to, on that CG shot, they have to come out of it left to right, stuff like that. Otherwise it, it crosses the axis. And we were much more in those days uh, concerned with stuff like that than we are now. But again, I've already sort of said some of it in terms of dealing with the art department. I'm a big, big, big believer in, in prep. So uh, I, you hear horror stories about shows where the, uh, the production doesn't get the script until, you know, way late. And they, the actors have, no, you know, they get new pages, you know, the night before shooting and, and they're building props and, and, and sets, you know, that the paint is still wet when they, um, when they, when they step on stage. And, and that to me is a unfair to the crew. Um, B it, it burns money. Uh, and, 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 and and see, it's, it's just, it's just inefficient. Uh, and so the more planning you can have, uh, in advance, the better so much so that, and this, this started happening, uh, with the outer limits and then, uh, with Richard Hudolin on, on Stargate and with every production designer and art department that I've worked with since it, especially in science fiction, uh, what's the, the, the line I like when one of my, uh, Builders uh, said there's no drywall in space, which means that all the shapes that these designers come up with, they're all unique. There's, you know, there's very rarely a square room in a spaceship that is, you know, just simple. Uh, they all have angles, they all have structure, they have depth you know, and, um, and the more of that usually the better. So, so, uh, so when you build a swing set, which is a set that's only going to appear in one episode or two, um, it's really nice when you can um use it over and over again. In SG1 we we had this benefit of having the available to us. What it's gone now, but it was at the time the largest uh sound stage in North America. It wasn't a sound stage, it was an effect stage. Meaning that whenever a train went by you could hear it and you'd have to stop and so poor actors were you know you get a scene where you know Amanda Tapping or, or Jewel State is, you know, or anybody's doing this great scene that's, you know, rich in emotion. And, and you know, the sound guy goes, pause for a sec. And you hear a train go by and they're holding their emotion and they have to keep acting. That's people who don't think acting is really hard. They should see somebody in that situation. Um, but we had this, we had this gigantic sound uh, effect stage. Uh, and, and we built a village. We built an entire village, uh, that, that could, because as I said, even then we were losing places that we could, that we could, um, go to and, and turn around and make it look like it could be an alien thing, you know, and, and, and because there were all, there seemed to be always humans wherever we went, uh, we, we, and we were building these sets and using them once. Like, uh, Richard built this fabulous thing for an episode called spirits and it was, it was just hugely expensive and it was used in one episode. So we, we started, coming up with ways where we could use a set multiple times, multiple ways. And um, uh, of course that was the village was almost a failed experiment because I, I, I thought I was being really smart, but what I didn't realize is how expensive it was going to be to light the damn thing Uh, because you build something that big and, and you build it indoors. uh, And then if you want to try to do daylight, you have to bring in so much light and, and, and you know we were in, we made our show look more I think more expensive uh, than than we our budget really had uh, by knowing we were going to be there a long time I mean we had before the end of season one we knew we knew we were doing eighty eight episodes and before the end of season two we were doing we were doing five seasons that allowed us to to invest in stuff. Uh, that we, you would not otherwise do as a television show because you might get canceled in two weeks. So you rent everything, and that doesn't suggest that we bought lights because uh, that doesn't make any sense either. Because you're really buying the bulbs, <laughs> and those yeah. things are the real price. And so you rent stuff like that. Uh, but but you know you build things that you know you're going to use again and again. At one point we had uh, between Atlantis and talk about efficiencies. We at one point we were producing Stargate SG One and Stargate Atlantis in the same offices with the same writing staff, with the same, uh, production design team, which way we, we had two designers and, but they were working out it one designer, two art directors working out of the same office. And, and that made sense so that we could have those efficiencies so that we could use our nine sound stages and build something that was going to be X in one episode and Y in, for SG1 and for SG one and Y in Atlantis. And, and, uh, and because our designers were so good, you rarely saw. You could see, I could see, but it, it, you could at least, it, we, you know, there was a difference between uh, Planet A and Planet B. Um, and and then Joe did a really smart thing in the village. He he did an episode called Whispers, and we fogged the whole damn thing up, and you couldn't. No you, you could see the structure, and 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 it it was terrific. It was like another use of that place that uh, well,
0: that Brad, we would by the way. Um, seen. Um, speaking of Joe, he's going to be our second special guest, and he's actually queued up right now, and he's been waiting in this virtual backstage. So we're going to see if we can actually oh bring him hello. in. Hello, bring me out just in case. <laughs> hello, I, you hey, know, Joe. I was I was listening to you talk about the efficiencies
2: of producing Stargate, and frankly, you know, you sound like me, or I, I sound like you, because whenever I do a, an interview, I talk about dark matter and the fact that. <sighs> You hear horror stories about other productions writing outlines on, on on napkins or getting scripts the night before. And I always tell people, you know, the reason Dark Matter was such a pleasant set and everyone was happy to be there uh, was because we prepared. And the reason we were able to prepare is because I learned it from you and Rob on Stargate. The fact that, you know, if you're efficient um, it just makes life easier on everyone, and the money ends up on screen. Um, and it, you know, just listening to you talk about that made me, made me smile. So uh, you know, w- well, great. I remember you visiting the Dark Matter set, and I introduced you as my mentor. And I remember you laughing it off, but but it is true. I mean, the reason Dark Matter turned out as 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 great as it wasn't, and it has its its fan base, is because of everything I learned working under you on Stargate.
1: Well that's great, Joe. And and it's great that uh, it's great that Dark Matter did so great. And look great, by the way. Thank, it was, you. Uh, Thank you. It was a great show. It's a I, shame it didn't I, continue. We both got the three it, season curse.
2: <laughs> I got it with Travers, you got it with Dark Matter. <laughs> we did. We did. Oh, well. But uh, I came I came on with two questions. Now uh, forgive me I'm late to, to the to the chat so in case someone has asked it I'll move on. But you know, I would like to know what Brief. was briefs. Yes, okay. So basically, I only have one question then. Um, what was the, what was what was your most challenging episode to produce and why in your the span of your career? Uh,
1: okay, I can think
2: of two, and I don't mean challenging, but just downright bloody scary. Do you remember the
1: Do you remember the episode uh, on the planet with the with the with the Cirque du Soleil mimes? Yes, that that was before uh, my time. uh, What what, what we realized was that uh, that we were putting, where where we shot it, which was out in a place called uh, Stokes Pit, which is gone now, by the way. It's just buildings, uh, which I'm sure you lament, Joe. Uh, 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 We were putting these people uh, that were dressed in virtually nothing but makeup uh, outside uh, in temperatures that were pretty much zero and asking them to act, uh, and, and, uh, act in an alien sort of way. Um, speaking of back to the biological question. Um, and, uh, and I thought, Oh my God, we're going to kill somebody. Uh, they're going to freeze to death. And one of them happened to be a friend of mine, uh, who I'd gone to university with, So we had all these heaters set up, Mm -hmm. but so that, but it ended up the sun came out and and it didn't rain. And I thought all their makeup would have run off too. If it had rained, I was, it was, it was like so scary. Anyway, the other one was one as a travelers episode uh, in season two, I think uh, where I had decided to uh, like a, like a madman to shoot a, a skydiving episode. And literally devoted a a, a whole section uh, to the episode in the sky, shot with. I thought I went into our producers' office and said, "We can do this, right?" He went, "Yeah, I think we can do this." GoPros, uh, you know. And so the 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 concept of the episode was a traveler was uh, arriving into the body of a skydiver. They didn't succeed into a mission in their mission, and so we went back in time until just after that traveler. And over and over and over again, while the traveler was falling through the sky and basically sent new travelers into their host body. And so Amanda Tapping read the script and and she directed the episode and she came into my office and I'd never seen an actor or director so frightened before because she was saying, so um, Brad, you want me to direct this episode in the sky? And I went, that would (laughs) be great. She said, "Okay, okay, sure. Just want to make sure. And uh, and it ended up working really really well because of her amazing planning and because we found an actor who looked just like the stunt person, and and but the, the one of the reasons I was so scared uh, and and it was so stressful and so risky was um, it, we shot it in the spring and it as you may know Joe rains a little here and you can't jump out of the sky in the rain it has to be sunny and we were losing our lead actor to a pilot that she had, uh, got with like a much larger show and it was Friday and we needed her to, to shoot these scenes. And we had to tie the skydiving stuff to her on the ground. And thank God on our last available day, the weather opened up and we were able to shoot the skydiving scenes and they ended up being magnificent because, uh, uh, the sky was beautiful and, and, uh, and I will never do that again. The funny part so, is people kept,
2: so go ahead. No, I was just going to ask. So you said the final day, do you mean that you would schedule it for that week and the weather was bad and you had to push, keep pushing or, and then, and then you just happened to we get it on the last day she was available. Holy smokes. That is a, yeah, that's yeah, a high wire. Arc, four windows net. of opportunity. Four windows of
1: opportunity. And, uh, And the last window. Otherwise, I don't know what we would have done. I really, I I don't know what we would have done. So don't do that, Joe, on your next show.
2: I was, suffice it to say, I don't think I would do any uh, skydiving or uh, high acrobatic uh, scenes. My second question, uh, you being uh, practically the the only guy I know who reads as much sci-fi as myself, uh, I want to throw out a question. Basically, if you were given the opportunity to adapt... Any, I won't even say sci-fi novel. Any novel to the big screen? What would it be? Oh, you have carte blanche. Oh, I do. I do know. I do know. I have carte blanche.
1: Okay, it's called Legacy of Hero. I think I made you read ah,
2: yes. it. Yes, Levin. I love it.
1: Jerry Purnell. And Steve. It, it's a great novel. And, and it's a. It's a, It's it's dated, but I. Th- uh, but I think I, it's just got this fabulous twist in the middle of it uh that that i'd love legacy of hero joe you you were the one who turned me on to the novel. what's the novel about the spiders children of uh,
2: time. uh, uh children of who, who time yes uh adrian tchaikovsky adrian
1: tchaikovsky terrific there, there. It's i was trying book. to remember that earlier before you came on oh yeah now there's a great I, that's a great example of a of a book that i loved that i don't think would make a very good film uh because uh Because of the time jumping and because uh, because of you, I don't know you could anthropomorphize spiders as well as he does Mm -hmm. uh, just by hearing their thoughts, you know? Yeah, I think you'd go,
2: ah, no, do that. Yeah, that's a good point and a great answer. I thank you, sir. What I'm going to do is I'm going to log off so that I don't eat up your bandwidth. And I'm going to join the uh, chat and talk about you behind your back. (laughs) So thank you very much. Good to see you, buddy. (laughs) <laughs> Good to see you. Well, now he's frozen, so I, I, I can't tell if uh, Brad's angry at me.
0: So I will see you soon. One, one If there, if you yeah. can stay on for one more minute, there's actually a question kind of for both of you from someone That's named Yoshida okay. Babies, which is, I always wondered this, how do you keep the scripts of the character over time when there are multiple writers?
2: To be honest with you, on Dark Matter, I tended to do a pass on everything. And it's the same thing you did when we first joined. Stargate. I mean, for for several seasons, um, I mean, we would all, the writers would all get in the room and we would break the stories together. The outlines would go through all the writers, uh, particularly Brad and Robert, who would give their notes. uh, And then we would go through the various drafts. And when the scripts were, we thought, perfect, then they would go to Brad and Robert and Brad and Robert would do their passes on the scripts to ensure. Essentially, quality of control. It's the same thing. When I was on Dark Matter, I was a showrunner. Uh, all the scripts went through me.
1: Okay, so that's true. Except when you have the ability, and as we and the the fortune, the good fortune that we did for as many years as we did, eventually you all start hearing and reading the same voice, right? So yes, I did. I would do a pass uh, on on uh, on scripts early on, uh, but. But, you know, by the time Paul and Joe were writing shows uh, for, uh, you know, a year or, or whenever it was, um, the, the voice that came out of their typewriter was virtually the same as the one that came out of mine. You know what I mean? O'Neill sounded like O'Neill. Carter sounded like Carter. Um, at the very beginning, you it's impossible for the showrunner not to do a big pass. It's impossible. I don't care. I don't care how good a writer you are. You're, you, you, you you need it's quality control is a good way of putting it, but it's also, it's, it's also for the actor so that the actor picks up a script and and knows, yeah, that's my character. As opposed to, I wouldn't say that. And, and they might've said that had it been created by somebody else, but it wasn't. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) you have this on travelers. I can only name like three or four scripts that I didn't do a, a dialogue pass on. Um, and, and of course, the longer you go with writers, uh, the, the, the closer they're going to get because they can see the episodes. They, they can see the performer performing those, you know, those scenes and they hear the voice. They hear the character voice. And, and, and it would have happened, by the way,
2: had I had I written The Dark Matter. Same thing would have happened.
1: Well, I, I tried
2: to get you to write uh, on Dark Matter uh, uh, both seasons, but you were t- too busy. So, uh, you know, maybe next show yeah okay (laughs) okay
0: joe thank you so much all right see you guys later see you joe all right brad so um we're going to go now into some quick fire questions i hope you're hope you're ready whatever springs to mind hopefully that uh, i'm ready these will be like kind of snappy there's 10 of them that have been coming your way number one what show should we all be watching right now Ooh, great great question um Not science fiction at all. Ted Lasso.
1: So good. So, so moving. So funny. So modern. Uh, Fabulous writing. I just love that. I I absolutely loved it. Uh, The Crown. uh, If you want to see money happening on a screen, watch The Crown. It's also brilliantly acted and written. Uh, Travelers. You should watch Travelers if you haven't. (laughs)
0: most bingeable um, series on Netflix. So, uh, if you couldn't write, what else would you do?
1: Well, I started out as an actor and then I realized I was a far better writer. Uh, but, uh, my first, I mean, I was in a theater company, uh, for years, uh, in my twenties with my, uh, uh, with Debbie, who's, um, my wife and has been ever since we, we were in a touring theater company and, and, uh, you know, we wrote social action theater and, and we, um, uh, we acted in our little plays and, and it was, uh, it was fun and funny. And, it, and I kind of miss, I kind of miss the, the, the performance aspect of, of being on stage. Um, I I, mean, I would be drawn to science. I'm just, uh, I, I wish I could, uh, be, uh, it's the math. I, I got, I just, the math just, was too hard for me. So I ended up being able to, you know, write science fiction uh, television, which was
0: very lucky. All right. Five dinner guests, dead or alive. Who do you invite? Oh,
1: oh, that's too tough. <laughs> uh, uh, do I have to have five? Uh, 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 I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I really li- I'd like to meet uh, Barack Obama. Uh, I really I, th- I just think he would be great. I'd like to go. I th- you know what? My perfect foursome, I don't even know if they all golf, uh, uh, Jake Tapper, uh, Barack Obama, just, just those guys, they would be, I just think they're so fun and so smart. And, uh, uh, I, I'd like to have dinner with Scalzi. Uh, I, have never had dinner with him. He's a, he's a funny, smart guy, but that's a that I could actually possibly do sometime when the, when the pandemic is over. I, I don't, I don't have a lot of, uh, fantasy about stuff like that. I'm i uh, I'm a little more practical. <laughs> Yeah. I can okay. tell you the five golf courses I I would like to play. I would love to play Augusta. I'd love to play Cyprus. Okay,
0: Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Uh, here's a silly one. Uh, pineapple on pizza. Oh
1: no. What's what is wrong with you? Why would you even ask that question? <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, who won the fight? Uh, Ronan, uh, or Teal'c, I guess. Oh, they're still at it. They're still at it. They're, they're, they're like, uh,
1: one gets knocked down and the other one turns to the other one, gets up again and does one of these. That's that's how that goes. <laughs> I'd like to write that. actually. <laughs> no, they're, um, uh, if you, they're, they're, they're if you write it, they're all we'll it.
0: Yeah, you, if you write it, we'll animate okay. it. No problem. You we'll put it up. There. <laughs> Um if the world is going to end in twenty four hours, and you're the only one who knows this. what's the first thing you do?
1: I don't know that's a good i mean the the only thing I think of when you say that is I wrote that i i wrote uh i wrote an a an, uh, uh, an episode of the outer limits called Inconstant Moon. Uh, it was actually a Larry Niven short story that I read where um uh, and this isn't an answer to your question, but I'm going to t- answer it this way anyway. Uh, I just read it, and it was so moving. It, it was uh, about a, pr- a guy who looks at a, at a moon, in Constant Moon, it's a line from uh, Romeo and Juliet, and he, and he, and he sees that it's, it's so bright, and it's brilliantly bright, and he goes, wow, look at that, and he phones somebody he knows who, who he kind of likes and is sort of flirting with. And, and, uh, and then it, it sinks in, oh, my God if this, there's only one light source in the solar system and if the moon is brighter it's reflecting off the sun the sun must have gone nova and they're on the dark side so when the earth rotates back around again they're doomed and so he 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 asks her out and he takes her on a date and and uh and then they end up fighting for their lives uh because it wasn't it wasn't a, a nova it was just a severe flare what a beautiful story i had to write it i had to turn it into an Outer limits episode uh I actually got to to ask Larry Niven about it. I changed it in ways I didn't want to, but again, the, the, the network and the studio, I was it was news, so I had to do what they said.
0: But uh, yeah, that's my answer to that. In constant <laughs> okay. moon, um, thoughts on the last season fin- or series finale.
1: Carl Binder, who's a who I've known for thirty years, and who he and I did a show. We're the only writers on a show called Neon Rider. Way, way back. My very first job. He's not a sci-fi guy, but I knew he would be able to bring the heart element uh, of writing into the show. So I brought him into Stargate, uh, I think season four or five. And, uh, and he, he wrote all the way into universe. So he was, he ended up being with us, uh, as, as in our writer's room and an executive producer on the show. And, a, and a, he's a showrunner in his own right, of course. And ended up writing, I think the best, uh, SGU, uh, that we made epilogue. Um, but he loved Lost. He loved the series, and I watched the pilot in a couple of episodes. And I and I said to him, you know, you have lunch at the writers' room, and I said, him, "Buddy, this show there's no there's no plan. They're just making shit up. I'm telling you right now." And he went, "No, no, 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 no." I, I, you can see that they're you know, they're, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. Went, no, 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 there's no, there's just pieces everywhere. There's no puzzle. And, and, and he, he, so I didn't watch the finale, but I remember the day he watched the finale and I remember the day he walked in and I said, well, and he went, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I apparently was right. Uh, there was no plan. Uh, I do love that music cue, though, and it's on my I, when I'm right, I listen to uh, soundtracks and, and that final music cue. From lost is beautiful it's just very very good
0: here's another show thoughts on
1: the the sad
0: cancellation of firefly there's
1: an example of a, a network not seeing what they have i i kind of understand what they were afraid of because uh i watched the first episode that they put up and went how is that a pilot i don't get it turns out it wasn't they aired them out of order um, I didn't realize that until afterwards, and then I think it was Robert or Paul or Joe or both or all, and and they said, "Brad, give it a chance. It's really good." And then I and I ended up watching them all uh, on uh, one summer. I think after it was canceled, and I, uh, it's so good. The acting is so great. It, the the it's, it's a shame. It should have had it should have had multiple seasons, and it was you know, it's a shame. You know, that's how lucky we were. We, we, I don't think if we were in the same position in a, in a million years would would SG-1 have gotten past episode five or six. I mean, we, we, you know, I, I think fondly of the season as a whole, but we've had some dogs in there early on. And, um, you know, I, I, um, if we were under the same, uh Broadcast network microscope that that Firefly was on uh, under uh, I think we would have been in trouble. So you know, uh, obscurity can give you a long life. (laughs) 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 Not that we you know we ultimately ultimately ended up being a pretty big hit, but but uh, uh, you know what I'm saying.
0: It it was
1: it's a shame. Firefly was great. Mm.
0: Okay, um, last quickfire question. Who would you like to see at our next AMA? But whoever you say, you got to help us get them.
1: Joe, Narain, uh, John Scalzi. Uh, there's lots of folks who who would be better at this than me. Uh, but uh, um, uh, pro, you know who would be really fun because she's so uh, witty and and uh, and charming and, and lovely. Amanda Tapping, and I will ask her. She she's great to 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 an AMA with Amanda
0: would uh, be incredible. It would be great. And be really nice to her. I'll kill you. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, she's so great. <laughs> okay. Um, well, it's almost... Uh, time is almost up, Brad. Do you do you have a few more minutes or do you want to play one sure, more I can, game? Sure, I could. I, I can, yeah? Sure, we could do another thing if you have something ready. I, I'm Yeah, we got I'm something really silly for you, which is uh, we're going to find out which ST1 character you are. I think Tommy's going to queue up some questions and then he's going to do some kind of like brain thing going on okay um but oh dear
1: oh no able to see
0: that
1: <laughs> are you able to see that choose the word that appeals to you most: power culture loyalty peace duty justice peace the only race threatens to destroy your planet what do you do left menacing and destroy okay that's funny uh uh order and attack and remove yourself from combat Not so no Fight the enemy to the death. Evacuate your people and stay behind to defend their exit. Uh, strategize with others the best way to proceed. Get everyone to someplace safe and fast. Uh, evacuate your people and stay behind to defend their exit. If you're traveling to an unknown planet. Which do you? Which of these do you take to defend yourself? Staff weapon. Not a shotgun. Uh, good old nine millimeter. No weapon, they invite violence. You find a stone with strange markings. Your first instinct is to take the stone. It may hold some kind of power, scan for radiation, attempt to translate the markings yourself. <laughs> uh, talk to somebody who you could translate the markings. Leave the stone where it is. It's between uh, the sec. The last two. Uh, talk to somebody who could translate the markings. Scan it for radiation. I don't have that ability. Uh, Which of the following uh, would you do to live longer? Anything it takes, mostly anything, as long as I can stay myself. Well, I I have to say three. I would have my mind transplanted into a a clone body. Sure I would, why wouldn't I? Can I be taller? Can I ask for that? Uh, You discover a new alien civilization. Your first instinct is to attempt to make peaceful contact. I suppose it's just been taken by your enemy. How do you react? Destroy your enemy's home planet. No. launch full-scale war and attempt to recover your spouse. Quest to help. I, I, I'm going to say uh, strategize with others to figure out the best way to proceed. Because I, I don't have spaceship, so I'm kind of stuck on my own. Which is your favorite color out of the following options? Going to go with black. Odd. <laughs> That's <laughs> not a color. <laughs> uh, that's how I dress most of the time. Uh, a mugger approaches you in an alley and demands your wallet at gunpoint. What do you do? See, I'm scrappy. I'm going uh, to say reason with the man. I'm going to say reason with the man of those choices. Powerful worship with tons of weapons and stuff. Oh, what's, what's the best form of transportation? Whatever it takes to get me where I'm going quickest. That's my answer. How long is this quiz, Lawrence?
0: <laughs> yeah, how long? How long 27, is twenty-seven thousand these
1: questions? Uh, if 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 it were illegal, which of these crimes would you commit? <sighs> Punch the vice president in the face. That's out of character. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just just the times. Just the times. <laughs> Somebody who love just died. What would you do? Get really mad, cry uncontrollably. Go somewhere quiet to reflect, attempt to help the family or the person for as long as I can. Do some attempt to help the family. It's pretty obvious. Criminating photos of the present with the woman. <laughs> can I skip this question? Uh, hasn't this already happened? Um, hide the photos. No, exploit the opportunity. No, throw the photos away. No, burn the photos. No. Uh, I'm going to say, turn the photos over to military personnel, because that's a bizarre option. What is your favorite animal? Shark, panther, bear, worm. Dog, monkey, parrot, bald eagle. Dog, dog, dog guy. Who would say? Okay. Firefly. Finally, it's very small type on my iPad. Finally, which word best describes you? I don't know. That's not fair. I don't want to say any of those. Uh,
0: uh, I guess the best answer is awkward. Uh, do you, do you have a guess <laughs> on who you who you might end up being, or or? Not I, I got to be Daniel.
1: I must you be, be Daniel. Daniel?
0: Okay. <laughs> <You're> Thor. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I didn't see that one coming. Well, I didn't oh, see that one funny. coming. Do you know who played Thor? Do you know who was Thor?
0: The voice of? I do. I do. Michael yeah. Shanks the character you thought you were gonna It was to amazing. <laughs> yeah. You loved doing it too. It was great. Yeah, yeah.
1: My favorite, sure. my favorite line of Thor's was hopefully it will be the last of the footwear to fall. Yeah, the shoe drop. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so that was fun, Lawrence. Thank you guys. I hope uh it was uh uh not a root canal for anybody uh I uh we the the technical problem was probably on my end but uh um uh I hope you could hear me and it was fine. So uh, thank you very much. It was fun. Oh, no, thanks no, to Joe thank and the for coming on.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. That was really great. And um, yeah, no, thank you, thank you. Thank to be honest, all of the members who showed up and asked all the questions. There was there's so many that we couldn't get through uh, that you know I've been scrolling through whether it was in, in the comments or previously. So I'll send them over to you, Brad, well, if you yeah, want to take a I'll, look at them uh,
1: at any point. But, maybe I can answer uh, some more online. Also, you know what, guys, I have to say, I think the companion is a great idea, and and I really enjoyed writing my essay, and I and I, I look forward to writing more. And uh, I really, I I, I think that um, I think that you're onto something really cool. So uh, fingers crossed for bigger things.
0: Yeah, thank no, thank you. And um, yeah, if you have any other final thoughts, Brad, it's over to you. Otherwise, uh, you know, thanks to everyone else for coming. Thank you, guys. Bye, everybody. Okay. Take care. Hi there. This is Chief Master Sergeant Walter Harriman, your favorite gatekeeper. Have you ever wondered what it takes to become a certified Stargate technician? Well, now you can find out because I'm going to share my knowledge and experience with a select group of aspiring and enthusiastic gators. I want to give you a chance to be a hero, too. That's why I'm happy to announce that on March 11th, I'll be taking a small number of students for my class, Gate Tech 101. Tickets are on sale now at thecompanion.app slash events. You won't want to miss this. Because it's not just a Stargate master class. It's a Stargate Chief Master Sergeant class. See you there. But for now, Chevron 7 is locked.